Welcome to this month's Resale Pulse trending topic. Today, we're going to round up the latest uh, policies dropped by various layers of the government and provide some insights into their impact on the real estate market. Now, I'm Brittany Reimer, and joining me today is Susanna Gonzalez. Tell me, Suze, what's the government done now? <laughs> With recent events, rent affordability has been a front page topic. As our viewers know, we recently ran a series breaking down the issue in detail. So this month, we're covering the flurry of new policies being rolled out by the provincial and federal governments. From zoning law changes to allowable rental increases, we'll be explaining each policy and providing an impact rating out of 10. Now, we've got a lot uh, to get to, so let's dive right into it, Suze. First up, a few weeks ago, the Liberal government announced the removal of GST on new construction of purpose-built rental suites. Yeah, now this is a change that has been floated for some time, uh, and it's finally here. In simple terms, this will reduce the overall cost by 5%. This is a significant savings on rental performers, especially in a time of escalating construction costs. Now, for that reason, I'm giving this policy an 8 uh, out of 10. We have long recognized that high-density rental housing is critical to affordability in Vancouver, and costs have long been a barrier to more construction. This is definitely a welcome change. Yeah, I would agree, Suze. Um, I'm going to give it a 9. I spoke with a few of the Fraser Valley Development Partners who specifically specialize in lease-up uh, work, and they feel this uh, change is quite positive. Now, there is some mixed feelings around whether this cost is actually a saving or in the long run, it might get passed on to tenants, potential consumers. And in the, in, in that capacity, it's it, there is some questions as to whether or not that um, will actually save our development partners that full 5%. But overall, it's, it's positive. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, that 5% will be completely negated when the Metro Vancouver region increases their DCC fees on developers adding another $15,000 per condo unit of just essentially straight tax. Another cost that will be added to the purchase price. It may not be called the property tax, but it really is no different. Now, staying on that rental side of things, earlier this month, the provincial government set the annual rent increase cap to 3.5%. While not necessarily a new policy, this is a number that gets updated every year and is the subject of debate each time. Yeah, now 3.5% is a really big increase from previous years, which had allowable rent uh, increases between 1.5 and 2%. Now, both sides were displeased with the announcement. Um, it was meant to help landlords who have been eating at skyrocketing mortgage rates, uh, maintenance costs, but felt this was not high enough. At the same time, this will be an extra strain on tenants during a time when inflation is high and there is some uncertainty with the economy. Now, I'm going to give this change a 7 out of 10, as although I think this is a large bump up from the previous years, it will still not incentivize uh, tenants to move uh, their current residences. The true market appreciation as much as 10 to 15 percent in 2022 still far outpaced this allotted increase. Yeah, unfortunately, when you create arbitrary ceilings like this that have no connection with economic reality, it rarely is purely positive. Although helpful, it certainly isn't going to compel developers and landlords to build or increase supply when the cost to build and the rising cost to maintain uh, are what they are. So personally, I would rate this even lower, like a six. Ooh. Okay, now let's turn to the new construction um, and zoning bylaws, which received a big update in the city of Vancouver. Now, the city council approved a citywide densification for all RF5 zone single family lots that allow for multiple dwellings on each lot. Yeah, so for me, this is an eight, as I really think density in single-family neighborhoods is an important key to addressing affordability. 
Now, more units per lot not only allows households to live with extended family members, but also allows households to rent out additional units for income. You can really see a downsizer couple using their single family lot to create homes for their kids and their kids growing families and live together while still having some separation. I do think it will take builders a bit of time to figure out the site configuration to get a good floor plan layout and find the balance of fitting the density but also giving privacy for non-related owners. But our development community is exceptionally creative. So in some time, I think they'll figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I, on this one, Suze, I, I don't have much of an opinion just given it's Vancouver-based here, but you know, some of the similarities and some of the the, um, the inspiration that I'd like to see be drawn to the Fraser Valley is that um, you know multifamily living, and so if there is future opportunity for us to have you know townhouse living with rental income um, and other uh, potential options of multiple dwellings on lots, I think that that would be a significant positive for the Fraser Valley market as well. One consideration is always parking um, and those parking requirements, and I think that that is something that you know um, government is going to have to have a look at because the cost of parking is obviously significantly high for our development partners. And then, of course, residences in those said areas always have pushback with regards to that specific topic. So um, curious to see how they manage that. But overall, I'd say that's a 7 out of 10 for me. Now, speaking of new supply, then, our next policy is the $4 billion Housing Accelerator Fund, which was announced by the PM to grant funding to local governments for the creation of new middle-class homes. And the fund allocated its first payment recently to the city of London for a sum of 74 million towards approximately 2,000 units. Yeah, and as we all know, cash is king here. Um, we can't deny that. And while any encouragement to develop is welcome, the fund is current from uh, the fund in its current form seems unlikely to have any major impact on affordability. Now, since it was launched in March of last year, there has been only one municipality that received funding. Um, at its current trajectory, I think the impact will be minimal. Um, and for that reason, I'm going to give this one a 5 out of 10. Harsh. Yeah, I think part of the challenge it's facing is the general economic landscape. When construction costs and interest rates what they are, developers are faced with concerns on both ends. They need to manage their costs, which are continuing to rise, and more on that, uh, in a minute. And with interest rates dulling sales in the market, there is demand risk right now. Housing starts are way down and we can't force them. So in today's market, the fund isn't really being maximized because it's just too risky to build. Okay, and last but not least, BC recently received major revisions to its building codes, uh, including emphasizing accessibility and inclusivity uh, in specification. Now, the details are difficult to explain in this format, uh, <laughs> typical government policy. But one example is a minimum hallway and corridor lengths. Sounds like a simple change, but it may mean, for example, that units below a certain size can no longer fit a kitchen island, which is a very popular feature in homes. Yeah, so am I allowed to give this a zero? I think this is what well-intended, uh, I think this is well-intended, but totally misguided in terms of some of the design implications around circulation spaces and minimum lengths. And um, in homes, it, it means that homes will be less efficient, either leading to less utility or higher end prices. These changes are not helpful for 98% of the population and buyers are going to pay more for this because developers can't absorb more costs. Many developers are already racing to be grandfathered in before the change is implemented. Yep, I agree with everything you just said. This is definitely a double-edged sword. The code mandates stricter energy efficiency standards, which will be an increase to construction costs, as you mentioned, which at the end of the day means that that cost is getting passed along to home buyers and they are paying more for their homes. Essentially, home buyers could be paying you know, more at the time of purchase. There is an opportunity for them to like 
possibly save long-term on utility bills or insurance, so I've heard. Now, also important to note that the new code requires new seismic demands, adding another layer of complexity to our development partners' building costs, uh, not to mention new fire safety measures. Again, really great to hear that the quality and safety measures, you know, for the long-term are, are being implemented, but that is absolutely no doubt getting passed along to our development partners and home buyers in the long run. And for that rate, or for that reason, I'm gonna also rate this a six. Actually, did you say five or six? I said zero. Oh, you said zero. <laughs> well, I'm going with five then. Maybe one. one. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'm all for energy efficiency and, and safety, but uh, it's certainly not going to help with affordability, that's for sure. Well, Suze, it looks like we've wrapped up another trending topic episode. Now hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you haven't already, be sure to check out our Newswire, a daily email roundup of all the breaking news in the world of real estate. Yeah, thanks for tuning in, everyone. And we'll see you next time.